the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, good to be back again. Uh, this week I have Ben Moore join, joining me. Uh, welcome along, Ben. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, really happy to be here. Uh, thanks so much for, for inviting me along to have a chat. Oh, fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, Maybe you can start with a little intro on where you fit into this big, wide universe of technology and uh, and tech reporting. Absolutely. I've been reporting on the IT channel for about four-ish years now, um, and this year I am leading the charge on launching a few tech-focused outlets in New Zealand, uh, one for the channel, CRN, one for enterprise technology, IT news, and one for non-techy uh, business leaders called Digital Nation. Excellent, excellent. Oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing that uh, progress over the months ahead. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's, uh, yeah. it's, been a, it's a lot of work uh, so far and ahead, but I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, lots to delve into uh, today, but let's, uh, let's jump um, straight in. Um, now, I spent the, uh, the weekend down in Southland in Vicargo, and... Um, well, Invercargill's been a little bit in the news as far as data centres are concerned and, uh, yeah. and, and and connectivity. So we see the Overseas Investment Office, um, you know, has given the big uh, tick to um, to the land purchase there for uh, the data grid um, data centre, and I guess it's been reported as a you know a billion dollar investment. Um, I think that the land is uh, is a pretty small uh, you know slice of that. Uh, <laughs> That overall picture, um, you know, what what's your view on this? It's a bit that, that caught me by surprise, and um, what I saw in the NBR on it um, was that it looks to be a hundred percent offshore uh, owned, as far as data yes. grid is is concerned. Now that uh, I think you know Malcolm Dick had sold his uh, uh, his his stake. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's not entirely a surprise because. I guess New Zealand often doesn't have the amount of uh, the, the, the economic capacity to pour into something like a data center, which is why a lot of our data centers are being built by overseas companies. Um, what I think is really cool about this particular uh, data center is that it's using some of the renewable energy uh, left over from the aluminium smelter. So um, aiming to be the first ANZ truly carbon neutral data center, uh, unlike uh, some others which might use um, carbon offsetting. This is going to be hopefully entirely run by renewables. So um, interesting in terms of a huge cash injection into the New Zealand economy uh, that shouldn't have too much of an effect on you know our, our carbon footprint and potentially could help to to boost the economy a, a little bit in terms of um, the the companies looking to invest in having data center capacity in New Zealand. So Yeah, yeah, I mean I think uh, you know the whole move is, is is very very good. And you know I always find it, it interesting looking at where the investments come from. What does that say about you know those in New Zealand that have got funds to invest their foresight uh, and you know a whole whole range of other things that you could sort of delve into and 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 discuss and debate, but you know ultimately uh, you know, when when businesses are looking for investment, 
there, uh, you know, there's a balance in terms of you know how much effort do you put in if it's going to slow you down to look for investments in New Zealand versus if there are you know folks that are, are queuing up internationally and uh, and you know willing to go ahead and uh, and provide you the funds and you know I guess we've uh, uh, we've heard a bit from from you know Peter Beck over the years in terms of uh, Rocket Lab and yes. and I think some of the I don't know challenges, frustrations, uh, you know, etc. From his perspective, in terms of uh, in terms of New Zealand investment, but yeah, look, I, uh, this this is something that you know, I think is, is is very good for us as a country to uh, to go ahead. Yeah, and uh, yeah, hopefully we get sort of smarter and smarter around um, uh, being able to invest into these these things that requires that require a bit of a you know, a futurist mindset and ability to really look out and you know, long, longer term to see uh, the the importance of these investments. But uh, mm. yeah, it's it's really pleasing to see that we are getting more uh, data centres in New Zealand and and the ability to you know support the, the hyperscale providers, the Microsofts and and yeah. and AWSs. And you know, we've already um, you know seen that. Uh, I think we know. Uh, Next DC out of Australia are, are building for Microsoft. Uh, there's DCI. Uh, what's the other one? Camera um, Data Centers yeah, is, is uh, investing yeah. as well. Yeah, so there's a, yeah. a most of it's happening uh, in Auckland at this stage, yeah. but very very good for us to have that diversity as a you know as a nation in terms of we don't want all our data centers uh, you know built. Near uh, where I guess it's uh, it's extinct volcanoes around Auckland. Well, exactly, uh, yeah. We well we hope they all are, but um, you know you just don't want all your eggs in, in one basket location wise when uh, yeah. uh, it comes to these matters. So it's it's uh, it's it's encouraging, and of course uh, you know data can be can be in Australia, which isn't uh, isn't isn't too far off as well. But having that diversity around New Zealand is is I think yeah really encouraging. And if you look at the tragedy in Tonga as well, and it just took that horrific event and with all of its horrific consequences. But one of them was that the subsea cable got cut and suddenly there was no con- no com- no, um, no connectivity. And so in New Zealand, if you've got all these companies relying on cloud-based uh, business applications and things like that, and it's all in Australia, and then we lose that connectivity, suddenly uh, that's a huge chunk of our digital economy that's going to be it's going to be hamstring there. So, yeah, it's nice yeah. to have this stuff coming on onshore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as much as much as possible. And uh, yeah, if the the redundant uh, options are, are onshore as well, then all yeah. the better. Um, on the Tonga situation, um, I did get a communique through saying that uh, the that Tonga and Hawaii had come to sorry not Hawaii I'm thinking of uh, Pacific sorry Pacific uh, uh, who provides you know satellite uh, mm. connectivity and they helped out with the last time there was a, a cable you know cable damage to uh, to Tonga um, three years ago back in uh, in January uh, 2019 and they've come to uh, come to an agreement so there's uh, there's a, a gigabit or more of um, uh, bandwidth available to to Tonga until the uh, uh, the cable comes back on. That number itself, when I saw it in the in the email, was a gigabit. That's how much yeah. I get. That's how much I get. You know, yeah. uh, or most of us will will be getting to you know to our homes, right, or or yeah. not far off it. And and some of us have uh, you know have a have a good chunk 
more than that. And uh, so, um, yeah, important to recognise the, the difference between what can be done over fibre and what can be done over, over satellite uh, connections. But at least uh, they've, they've got an agreement and it's going to be a little, little bit easier for uh, communications. I haven't heard confirmation that that fibre is, uh, is fixed yet. So have you heard anything further on that front? No, no. The last I heard it was worse than expected and going to take a long time. Mm. Um, yeah. So which is unfortunate, but that's good news with the satellite because it's probably going to be a lot of happy uh, happy expat Tongans who are even just being able to get that text back home will be will be huge for them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't look like Starlink were in a position to quickly yeah. and easily provide, uh, you know, connect, connectivity. So, uh, um, yeah, a little, little bit of a challenge there, but something that I think will have more diversity uh, from that satellite perspective uh, in the future, and that that uh, will will make things a little a little bit easier, uh, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, it's a good highlight for New Zealand. Look, yeah, it is possible to lose your your fibre yeah. uh, connectivity. Of course, we've got yeah a fair bit more diversity in terms of cables connecting uh, New Zealand to the rest of the world. So not wouldn't would be harder for that to happen. Um, but also, if uh, if things move ahead. In, uh, in Southland, as we, we expect, then uh, there could be a fibre link that uh, also connects from uh, from that part of the country out to to at least Australia and probably yeah. South America. So well, that was one of the yeah. interesting things uh, about the, the data the data grid project as well is that um, Remy Galasso, who owns the some of the, the data grid company, was talking about how it's the potential for exporting data back to Australia as well, green data that will be powered by renewables, which is, um, I think, was a, there was an, uh, an analyst company said something recently about that the greenness of data is going to become a, uh, more and more of a driving factor for how people are deciding to invest and where they're deciding to, to locate their information. So, yeah, on the whole, a, a good move. Um, can't wait to see the first fully Kiwi-owned data center, hyperscale data center in New Zealand. Uh, hopefully, it's not too far away. But you know, these companies—they have the—they've done this a hundred times. They've built out these data centers. They've got it down to a to a science, and they can do it quickly and efficiently. So, it makes sense that they're the first ones building over here. Yeah. Now, also in New Zealand uh, news, um, Henry, which is a, a startup that um, you know, helps uh, the self-employed. Yes. Uh, in fact, you, you told me earlier you're uh, you're a customer of theirs. I am. Yeah, I've been uh, a customer for a few years now. Yeah. And I fully rate them. I, right. I think they're fantastic. I'm not a numbers guy. Uh, I don't like having to figure out. I don't like having to you know figure out how much I have to take out to manually set up all of these things. Um, so for me, you know, it's 1% of what, what I earn. I invoice through Henry. They sort the payment. They sort the tax, the KiwiSaver and everything. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of Henry, actually. Well, it seems like they've got some other fans because uh, we hear that they've, uh, they've raised uh, $16 million from uh, Left Lane Capital uh, in, the, in the US. And... Um, that is going to really, you know, give them um, a boost for for significant move forward. Uh, interesting that their uh, revenue has has gone up, you know, massively over the past sort of eighteen months. 
uh, or so, and uh, they're they're listed as one of New Zealand's largest uh, accountancies, basically accounting wow. firms, which sort of makes sense yeah. when you're doing when you're delivering something like an accounting service, you know, really on mass from you know from the cloud, uh, and you've got this um, you know, incredible product that that allows you to. Uh, serve a lot of people for a, a reasonably low price, as you said. Simplicity, or you, as you said, one percent is their is their fee, and yep. and uh, yeah, I think that that brings a real simplicity to their offering. And uh, yeah, you look at it from you know, a whole lot of different angles, and uh, you know, I think you compared it to what it might cost you to be with Zero versus yep. you know, Henry. Henry are really customised to your particular scenarios so exactly. so you get a lot of benefits of that but you get that simplicity it's a you know one percent of whatever you bill out that they take so you know they automatically benefit as more you know customers come on board uh, as those customers bill more uh, inflation and so on they never have to put their you know in theory they never have to put their fee up and you know, I would hope that's something that they can stick to is this one one percent, yeah. because uh, yeah, I think that simplicity piece is is very very powerful. As soon as they go one point one or one point five or to any other variation on that, I think they lose something that is um, you know just inherently you know simple and 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 special about their platform. Totally, um, but, and that one uh, percent scales with you as well. So if yeah, I earn, you know, if I only bill a hundred at dollars in the entire year, then I'm paying a dollar for, <laughs> for all of the their services, um, which is which is fantastic. But as I've I've scaled up to, you know, I had to bill all of my hours through 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 Henry, and it it just was fine. It was easy. And since I've joined them, they've added currency support for so many countries now. I was just we were just looking at it before, but I remember when they introduced AUD, you know, it was kind of a big deal and. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they they don't start trying to tap into that Aussie market and uh, trying to make some some global tax waves because because they've got a great system, I think. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's exciting. So they're uh, they're now sitting at a at a valuation around a hundred uh, hundred million uh, New Zealand dollars, I believe. So um, yeah, they've done done very well over their uh, sort of you know roughly five five years since they uh, they started. So it's definitely a, a story. I think it would be great for us to go into a little bit more uh, more detail on, and uh, we'll look at doing that in the future. But yeah, always exciting to see you know, our New Zealand startups uh, doing well, yeah. and growing. Um, yeah, we talked about local investment versus international investment. This is funds coming from from offshore, but um, yeah, we 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 uh, um, should recognise this that there can be some real benefits to those funds, you know, coming from from offshore as well. And certainly, my you know, my hope will be that uh, you know Henry becomes very much a you know a global accounting. Cloud-based accounting firm, rather yeah. than uh, with with that, uh, you know, I'm not sure what their breakdown is at the moment. We know they serve the New Zealand market, um, and do you know what markets they're in overseas? I in don't New actually. Zealand and Australia, or I know it? it's tricky when when you're doing some stuff like the becoming basically an accountant for someone because you have to mm. be so localized to the local tax laws and things like that. I'm not a hundred percent sure if they serve people in Australia. Um, but yeah, 
but I do know that I can like I can bill to Australia and they they sort out all of that side of the everything. So mm. no worrying about currency conversion, no worrying about having to think about um, what it means and GST and having to deal <laughs> having to deal with the issues of, of importing money to New Zealand. So yeah, just all, all yeah. done done for you. That's great. All right. So, uh, yeah, look, hopefully we, we will have a, a, a lot more uh, you know, stories on New Zealand startups this year and that they uh, they keep going up uh, nicely in value. Um, actually, there was another one that was a New Zealand uh, one that just has come out in the last, uh, last week or two that I forgot to mention and let me have a look at who that was if I can uh, yeah if I can see it it's it's always great to see these these uh, uh, these startups in New Zealand doing so well because there's so much clever stuff happening and software is so universal that we're almost you know set up to be a powerhouse for Mm. for software development and cloud-based development uh, globally. And it's happening. You see, look at these companies that, that we're producing, like Henry, like, you know, Zero, of course. And, yeah, yeah. Um, Moxian was the name. Um, so uh, Moxian uh, were, were a big winner at the uh, the High Tech Awards uh, yep. last year, if I re- recall correctly, and yeah, been att- attracting significant uh, interest. They began in uh, in 2015, and uh, Autodesk have stepped in yep. and acquired them. Um, as a as a small investor in uh, in Punakaiki Fund, um, they've now exited from Punakaiki Fund, but. Uh, um, Apparently that has um, has been a, a reasonably good return for uh, Punakaiki Fund investors. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, very, very, very nice. So, um, yeah, I like Punakaiki Fund because they're accessible to, you know, um, well, there's, I don't know how many investors they've got now, probably heading towards 1,000 investors, but, you know, the... the the um, everyday everyday people have had a chance to invest in, mm. in Punakaiki Fund, and and then they're putting uh, putting money into supporting um, you know good innovative uh, Kiwi startups, which is, is fantastic. So uh, yeah, so well done, uh, Moxian and yeah. and uh, and and their uh, team. Um, yeah, their software was a you know really a huge boon to um, uh, to to filmmakers and. Um, yeah, helping in the filmmaking um, process. So which is which just cool. goes to show, you know, with Henry, it's kind of a quite a broad section of people who would use it, mm. Uh, mm. from full time contractors to people who do side gigs. But uh, Moxian is such a hyper specific thing that they just done really well. You know, allowing for live uh, review of raw footage uh, remotely, and that's that's basically what, what they did. And um, to be so hugely successful, so it's so interesting to see how both sides of these uh, of these software worlds, of the hyper specific and the kind of broad and powerful, um, can both be really successful from New Zealand as well. Mm. Well, you um, the, oh, they shared some figures around uh, the amount of uh, revenue that our um, our self employed earn. In New Zealand, I think it was listed at thirty, yeah, thirty billion. 
So uh, Henry indicate that uh, um, around 15% of New Zealanders earn uh, at least some of their uh, income you know, in, independently, self-employed type basis, and that that puts about uh, yeah, um, or about thirty billion of of that that flows through the um, the wow. economy. So you know, in a scenario where they you know maybe picked up um, you know say a, a third of that um, at their one you know their one one percent, then that'd be hundred million a, a year that they could uh, yeah. they could they could bring in uh, in the future. So evaluation at a at a at a hundred million, um, it, that's that's probably going to go up if they can uh, replicate what they've uh, you know what they're doing um, with a lot more customers in the New Zealand market and can and can spread that into um, you know for instance Australia, yeah. UK, maybe uh, maybe US. US being a probably a a lot more complex with the. <laughs> Yeah, state by state. <laughs> every every well, state, right, yeah. adds adds quite some uh, complexity. But you know, zero uh, have been uh, you know gaining their traction in the uh, um, in the US market, and uh, and and you know are, are well regarded there. So uh, let's see what's possible for Henry. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do. Mm. Now on to uh, other topics. There was uh, there was one thing that ca- that that came up that uh, that 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 caught my attention it was a, a heading in uh, in wired magazine and uh, the the headline read um, what should be considered a crime in the metaverse now that sort of sparked some immediate thinking for me and you know anyone that's interested can certainly go and um, you know find that on the on the wired website and and it delved into i guess it it went back to um, you know what we had be- before the metaverse in terms of gaming and these different virtual r- worlds. Where you know, I remember in the early days of computing, we had these sort of text-based type games, and you know there'd be some sort of fantasy world that you're in, and you could you know type commands and different things would would happen. Uh, and the article goes into sort of describing a a, a, a not a very nice uh, scenario there. Um, in a, 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 a game or a multi-user domain, as they were yeah. they were called, um, Muds. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm tangentially back in, back in the day. I had some friends who who have been in Muds, as they yeah, call them. okay, okay. Uh, so it's very text-based, very role-play-based, and um, very community-based. So yep. really, yep. like. Uh, almost to those uh, to, to to the to the metaverse, what text-based RPGs are to you know uh, World of Warcraft or whatever. Mm. Uh, and for those, yeah, I guess you know once those things sort of moved away from you know the the earliest iteration, which was just a local game on a local you know computer, so you got that community uh, type of aspect and 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 so on. Um, yeah, there's obviously the ability to to impact other people, and and uh, yeah, this particular story goes into some you know some shocking things that happened um, within the platform, and you know able to to leave users feeling uh, abused, violated, you yeah. know, etc. Outside of the platform, and so that was kind of the the angle, uh, you know, a big part of the angle that this um, that this piece went into. 
But I think that, you know, there's so many more things that we can, you know, we can think about in terms of, well, okay, well, how should we structure these things? And, of course, there are, um, you know, so many games and, you know, in fact, the, the, you know, the metaverse-type games, if you want to call them that, and and uh, I guess we're, we're to a degree still, you know, defining what mm. the metaverse is and, and will be. But, you know, I look at even, you know, kids' games like uh, Roblox and so on where, you know, people are entering this virtual world and they can, you know, trade things and buy things and, and, and so on. Um, that would, you know, to, to me fall into that category, VR-type games and, and, and so on. Um, yeah, there's, there's actually there's a fair bit of killing that goes on in, the, in, yeah. the, in these platforms, right? Well, that was the um, interesting thing from that article, wasn't it, about the, the concept of murder is one of the – is morally acceptable within so many games because yeah. there is no true death. Yeah. But then some of the other things that people can do to each other – and you see this in the censorship they've had to do of things like Roblox, where they've had to stop people from being able to say certain things to other users because it is, because it's cruel, um, because it's bigoted, and so that there becomes that interesting kind of moral um, juxtaposition of murder. We do murder, that's fine because it's not true, but actually, the things that you do online that do have real world consequences, we do actually have to be thinking about those things uh, and you you were saying earlier how that is kind of reflected in the the, the blockchain and the, the the other development of um of the digital world uh, nfts and uh, the the theft of nfts and the the frauds fraud the fraud that can happen with ethereum and the the, the ransomware with bitcoin and um it all ties together into this question of how do we regulatorily and morally navigate this new world that we're entering into, which yeah, is fascinating. It's, it is, it's going to be a very, very interesting time. And I, you know, I don't know how well we're going to do with it. Mm. Usually legislation itself takes a long time to catch up with where technology uh, takes us. Sometimes there is existing legislation that can handle uh, you know, certain scenarios. And I was... Um, if it was someone I was speaking to or something I was reading, but I was hearing about, um, you know, one child's experience with um, with Roblox and how basically they were, you know, they were scammed out of, you know, all these things that they had spent a long time acquiring on the on the platform. Uh, you know, they were they were they were sucked in classic sort of online con and oh yep you know yep just do this give me your stuff and I'll give you X, Y, Z in return. Oh, that sounds good. Went ahead and did it and, of course, you know, lost lost all of their assets and, and didn't get anything back in return. And there's, you know, so many of these types of scams and, and stories we, we hear about. And then, you know, as you say, there's a lot of uh, things that, that happen uh, when it when it comes to NFTs and, and cryptocurrencies that you wonder where should the lines be, be drawn? You know, mm. we look at the... Uh, the the stock market and you know when it comes to insider trading laws these you know these things are usually uh, you know pretty solid they've been around for a long time and you know there are all sorts of you know things around you know messing with them and manipulating the market um, yet of course we we know that it's it's very easy to you know manipulate um, uh, Cryptos. Cryptocurrency markets, uh, NFTs, and 
and there are some similarities, mm. and we you know we see probably more so today these uh, scenarios where uh, you know, stock prices are are being sort of manipulated, but maybe on on mass <laughs> yeah. uh, as we we saw happen uh, with with GameStop uh, through uh, uh, through Reddit. Um, yeah, and, and the question of is that is that stock market manipulation? And they say no, we're a community and we're talking about what we're doing. It's not stock market market manipulation. It's just that everybody can see what we're talking about. Um, and you you kind of you can't really go into Reddit and arrest everybody, <laughs> on a, you know, on, on a subreddit. And do you do you know who these people are? And, yeah. and it brings in you know some interesting questions around you know the anonymity that we have you know online when there is that ability to go and manipulate things, to steal yeah. from people, to um, you know have have an impact uh, in in one way or another. You know, we we heard. Uh, yeah, last year um, it was uh, it was an individual that sent text messages to maybe a, a you know a boyfriend and you know convinced them to have a you know to commit suicide in, in yeah. one way or another, right? So you know there's a technology piece in here. In that case, there wasn't a, a level of anonymity, so you know someone mm. was was before the courts for it. Um, but many times these things can be anonymous and then yeah, Especially other, other times they're not. You know, Elon yeah. Musk jumps on Twitter and does a, <laughs> does a tweet if he were to do a tweet uh, right now around a, a cryptocurrency. And we, I mean, we've certainly seen it in the past. He can cause the, the value of that to go up or the value of it to go down. Um, and, and sometimes those sort of activities are done in such a way that, to me, if they were being done in relation to stocks, you would imagine mm. um, uh, you know, a government entity to be uh, to be you know, stepping in in some cases. Yet, yeah, those same rules don't uh, don't apply. And, th- and this is the fundamental question of decentralization, right? We this is the 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 sale point of cryptocurrencies is that they're decentralized, but that also in, in many ways means deregulated. And so... To, to, to the extreme, right? To the extreme. We're, 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 yeah, you potentially can, yeah. can, can, can take away um, yeah, yeah. Any, gov- any government control to, to some, some degrees anyway. And, and while, that's, uh, while cryptocurrency is an optional thing, right, you can decide to buy an NFT or you can not. And people with excesses, excess amounts of money are going to buy fun new things regardless if it's an NFT or a, a Lamborghini, right? Um, so whatever those exist uh, and people will spend money on them. But again, it's that they're choosing to get themselves into a, a space that is known to be deregulated, decentralized, and therefore risky. Um, when we look at the metaverse, when we're talking about it becoming omnipresent as i think many tech companies are hoping it will be uh suddenly that becomes very scary and if we're using things like nfts to prove ownership of avatar clothing or things in the real world well in the virtual world i should say but they're decentralized and then deregulated and so then we enter this world of kind of strange um is it is it mandatory? Well, not really, but in the same way that having a phone isn't mandatory. So where do we then stand on, on that in terms of regulation? So 
yeah, I think we've got a huge quagmire of of legislation and regulation and and issues to 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 go through in the coming years as metaverse, NFTs, crypto, uh, and all of these this this new digital world comes to to fruition. So it'll be interesting to see how it happens. Certainly, certainly will be. Now on to the topic of uh, autonomous technology, which we yeah. do love discussing. Um, United Arab Emirates, their first uh, driverless uh, taxi uh, trial has has finished up, or the, the first um, phase of it. Uh, over two and a half thousand uh, passengers um, booked the uh, uh, the service. Um, it's called TXAI. Um, Pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to try that, but uh, it would be a lot easier if they they uh, moved the A before the uh, X and just made it taxi. But um, yeah, cool, uh, cool name. They they ran um, the trial uh, in end of twenty twenty one, and you know collected a you know whole whole lot of data. Um, it's really interesting to me that. Uh, we just we just continue to see more of these trials sort of spring up. It, I did wonder whether you know we were going to see a big big break for a while. Uh, I think Singapore, uh, the first ones there were, I don't know, years ago. Mm. So um, and and you know the, these things are you know continuing certainly in parts of the US and so on. Um, but we we in some ways we don't seem. Closer or or there as far as the uh, no. the car technology, but we know we know there is a lot of a lot of activity, uh, yeah, a lot of things moving 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 forward, um, you know, on the on this front. So it will yeah. it will get there, but the form that it's in, I think, is still you know, somewhat up in the air whether we're going to uh, really see a move to the you know commercialised. Um, you know, autonomous taxis that are very, very, you know, limited and, and, and structured to specific uh, locations, as I've, you know, I've seen in, say, Las Vegas, and where, you, you know, you can go into an app and, and uh, you know, look for a vehicle and know that the, the service is, is, is running in a particular area. And I remember that in Las Vegas. Um, who was it with? Not Uber, but um, one, of, one of the others, I think. Um, Maybe an Uber, um, but uh, when you've got the technology sitting there, it can work out whether to offer you a ride based on where you're getting picked up from and, and where you're going to. Uh, so you have to sort of fall in the sweet spot where yeah. the AI can can actually do a reasonably consistent uh, job in terms of uh, in terms of the route, the pickup and, and drop off location. Um, but the idea of, of getting to something that can just take you anywhere. Um, does seem as though we're, we're still some way off on that front. Yeah, there's still a few technological hurdles. I think um, you know, 5G. I think is another is, is one of them because the amount of sheer data that needs to go up and down to these to these cars uh, is is huge, and 4G just doesn't cut. Well, it. it's that that seems to be debatable because so, you know some of the companies are, are certainly doing it all on vehicle, and the connectivity is not is not essential for them to operate. I think at scale, if you're talking about something that can take you anywhere you want to go, I think it's going to need to be connected. I think on-vehicle isn't going to cut it just because of all of the unexpected variables that can happen on the road. So you can have a map 
of New Zealand loaded in, but that map needs to be basically live updated like Google Maps is um, with and also the amount of telemetry that the car actually is is uh, has and is t- all the information it's taking on board that then needs to be fed up to say, you know, oh, um, look out, there's there's something there. So how should I react? Uh, request to the comp- to request to the cloud uh, rather than trying to maybe it will maybe it will end up all. Well, on we do board, seem to have the uh, two schools of you know the two approaches. So one is five G, five G, and and that's almost the the reason that we need five G. And the other is, I guess, what you know Intel are doing with Mobile Eye, what you know Tesla are, are doing with with their FSD, uh, Comer AI, you know, another one, you know, who are, are you know based on camera sensors and and doing you know doing things you know very much in you know in the individual vehicle. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not quite sure exactly where the where these lines you know cross over. Um, but it do, it does seem that there is uh, there, there there are you know quite a number of players here that are mm-hmm. are not thinking that five G has to be part of the um, part of the answer because they will look at the individual scenario and have a, an AI that's smart enough to make a decision based on what it sees. But yeah. uh, and in fact, um, well. And like to talk about fact when it comes to Elon Musk because he's been, he's been talking about the the timing and says he'll be surprised if they don't have their uh, um, you know autonomous uh, you know ride sharing sort of service from uh, from Tesla this year. Whereas now, after a few many years of hearing these things, I think um, I'll be the one that'll be coloured surprised if they were to deliver. Yeah. Um, you know, such such a service uh, on any sort of broad basis in uh, in in twenty twenty two, but it is fascinating watching you know watching the the, the progress and uh, you know seeing some of these demo videos about what works and uh, and what what doesn't. Uh, the the Tesla side, you know, and probably part of the reason I you know I got into Tesla myself is because I wanted to experience a little bit of this and see how the technology is going. Um, of course, you don't need to you know, have a Tesla to, to um, you know to see that, and there are lots and lots of videos online of what their what their FSD uh, tech is doing. And uh, yeah, every few weeks I'll I'll see something you know new that uh, yeah is quite encouraging in terms of the the direction they're going. But there'll always be po- people sort of posting things that uh, uh, that are discouraging too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think in terms of autonomous personal vehicles i actually think it's a different challenge to to autonomous car services unmanned car services where you can pick up your phone and put a button and a car rolls up to your door and you're the only one in it uh, even the uae one you were talking about had a safety person in the car yeah um just yeah. in case so i don't know i i feel like yeah i mean i could be completely wrong and i it, it's happened many times before that i've been completely <laughs> wrong so <laughs> um but I, I feel like that connectivity piece is, is still pretty huge. Um, but with the with the rate that that AI processes are are advancing at the moment, and just processes in general, um, I think that there's definitely a a good possibility we'll start to see at least the first personalized or you know personal autonomous vehicle on the road pretty soon. Um, should be interesting. I hope so. I think it'd be very cool. Yeah. Um, but particularly if it can, you know, we're and and I think it probably only comes 
if it's going to be safer than than an individual driver than a than your typical typical driver. Um, so yeah, I've seen the yeah. the Waymo ones tripping around in in the states, mm-hmm. um, and they've been going so long. It's it's almost head scratching that after you know after so long that they. Uh, they're still very, very limited in terms of uh, in terms of their service, but uh, let's let's see how how they yeah. go and the and the others go. But I mean, they they're, they're certainly the leader in terms of you know, the amount of vehicles that have been on the road, the amount of rides, and and so on that they yeah. that they do from that perspective. Um, you know, and, and then Tesla and 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 the other position are, are in the sort of unique position of you know owning this full stack and having their technology and. Yeah, well over a uh, a million vehicles now. So um, yeah, yeah, look, um, lots to play out. I'm I'm one of those people who cannot wait to never have to drive again. So <laughs> so roll on. Yeah, um, yeah. A couple of other things we wanted to uh, we wanted to jump into. I don't know we've we've sort of um, uh, running out of time a little bit, but um, Sony is buying Bungie. Yeah. Um, the developer of the Destiny um, games uh, originally. Uh, the the original creator of Halo. Yep. Um, now th- this had me sort of scratching my head a little bit because I recall Microsoft buying Bungie. Yes, familiar story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like, hold on, and then <laughs> you know they went back to to being private again. And at the time, I wondered, well, why would you know why would Microsoft sort of you know do that? Um, and and yeah, you you can. You can imagine there would be, you know, there's a, a range of reasons why these sorts of things happen, and it wasn't that Microsoft weren't wanting to still publish, you know, Bungie's games, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you can you know potentially imagine that uh, um, that their team might do their best work uh, independently and yeah. and without the um, the shackles of a big a big corporate. Uh, so very interesting uh, that that this is happening now uh, with Sony, but it does seem to be being done in a manner that is, uh, um, in theory, doesn't leave them too shackled. We're talking about a roughly five billion dollar uh, New Zealand deal. I think it's three point six billion uh, US dollars, mm. um, and uh, yeah, it's. Um, uh, obviously, a lot smaller than than what we heard about recently with Microsoft's Activision Blizzard, yeah. uh, uh, the ac- acquisition of Activision uh, Blizzard. That was, uh, you know, um, sixty eight point seven billion, a little US bit more dollars. Yeah. Uh, so much, much bigger uh, scale. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And uh, you know, it seems to uh, seems to have a lot of. Potential. I'm sure there's a you know huge yeah. amount that's gone into this, so that uh, you would you would imagine, so that it doesn't uh, suffer the the uh, 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 I don't know a, a fate as it did uh, previously when Microsoft took it over. Yes, yeah. they've been very smart to uh, um, engineer it in so that it all falls apart again and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so on. But uh, you imagine this has had a, a huge amount of, of of thought gone into it. Yeah, I'd, I'd think so. And um, if you look at kind of Sony as a company, I feel like Bungie might be a little bit of a better fit uh, in terms of the the kinds of the time and care and that it, that Bungie put into their games. You know, 
I mean, there might be some Destiny players out there who would who would argue me argue with me about that. But as far as I can tell, you know, uh, Destiny Two was was a huge work that spent a lot of time coming to fruition. Was almost built from the ground up uh, from Destiny, the first one, as opposed to something like Activision, which is a slightly different business model. Huge number of titles, you know, Call of Duty and uh, um, small changes, reskin. Um, Bring out something that will try hopefully get people excited for for those small changes in the new skins and uh, I mean I'm speaking as a very as a luddite of gaming I love to sit on my couch alone and play single player games uh, so um, but but from from my experience of, of of Sony versus Microsoft it's always kind of been that, that the Sony want the big games they want the I mean and I mean big in terms of content and um, exploration and and those kinds of things whereas microsoft are more into the uh fast paced and um on mass games Interesting. Um, that's yeah. my experience yeah uh, you yeah. know uh, my time as a as like i say a uh, someone who will spend hundreds of hours playing skyrim so cool well we will uh, certainly that'll be that'll be one to uh to to watch and usually there's a yeah a fair period it takes for these sorts of uh, things to happen. Um, now, you sent me a link to uh, to Airspeeder, the world's yeah. first racing series <laughs> for manned flying electric cars. I'm just thinking, <laughs> uh, is, this, is this Star Wars? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, what, what you know... Uh, yeah, what's happened? What decade am I am I really in? I know um, yeah. this is this is fascinating. So you 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 got to you got to tell us what's uh, what's going on here. Uh, looks 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 incredible. There's some yeah pretty interesting uh, uh, materials up there at airspeeder.com. Yeah, and and um, I came across them doing a story about them last year, but they're an Australian company. But basically, what they're aiming for is flying vehicles flying manned vehicles as a day-to-day thing but they decided that the best way to get there is to do it through sports to do it through because they they saw what racing did for the you know car engineering and they thought well if we can get an awesome flying electric vehicle racing circuit off the ground then um you know that that could potentially bring a lot of engineering and excitement to to flying cars and you know maybe we'll See them on the road, I guess. On well, the, on the if, if, yeah, road. if you look back at, at Formula One and, and and motorsport in its earlier years, there was uh, a fair bit of death, shall we say? Yes. Right? There were accidents and death. Yeah, you can imagine um, by you know putting drones with people in them, flying around at at high speed. Um, yeah. yeah. I can't, they're not quite you can't drones, imagine it would go for, for yeah they're not quite drones <laughs> are they manned, but but yeah, but yeah. you know in terms of drone you know drone like you know yeah uh, vehicles that you know electric and you know at airspeeder.com you can you know you you can see some of the material there and uh, yeah one of the one of the ones just yeah just looks like uh it's got eight uh, eight rotors on it yeah uh, and yeah just yeah looks like a a larger uh, drone, but actually somebody sitting inside it, yeah. uh, you know, can, controlling it. So, um, yeah, you you can imagine this isn't 
necessarily going to end perfectly. <laughs> that's, uh, well, th- this is the yeah. thing I think that, that when I when when uh, I was listening to them talk about it, what they were saying is that because safety is such a huge thing, mm. that they want to be able to test it in this environment because they know that there are these huge regulations on safety in racing, mm. Um, mm. but that you are allowed to work to mitigate them and to do tests and things like that. So uh, they'll have like collision avoidance technology. Um, they'll have you know emergency landing technology and all this other stuff that that would work on. In theory, if it was all goes to plan, will work on these air speeders um, to enable people to zoom around a course, however high in the air they are. Mm. Uh, yeah, the consequences of it going wrong pretty 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 dire, but hopefully. Um, if it all goes well, what we'll see is some some awesome uh, manned aerial vehicles racing around in remote locations as they as they uh, create this interesting and quite frankly awesome new new sport. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, it all works out for them. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and interesting to com- compare them with uh, with what we know from the, the Star Wars world. Of course, yeah, you can uh, go and have a look on uh, Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and look up uh, air speeders on on there to fill out the picture uh, a little bit more. But yeah. uh, very cool, very futuristic, <laughs> and uh, yeah, hope, hopefully it it, it does uh, spur something yeah. and uh, and help move the technology forward. Hopefully, the drivers uh, don't have to get a midichlorian count test before they before they jump into the pod racer. I mean, air speeder. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, now, Ben, talking about these uh, air races, which you know, effectively would be in this uh, eVTOL category, uh, electric-powered vertical takeoff and landing uh, craft, that uh, is an area that crosses over with the research and development that WISC have been doing here in New Zealand. And we've j- just heard in the in the last you know, two or three days that um, Boeing are putting another four hundred and fifty million US dollars uh, into uh, developing WISC, which is the uh, autonomous air taxi mm. uh, technology that has been, uh, you know, being tested and developed uh, between Silicon Valley and uh, and and New Zealand. Uh, I think they've been flying them. Um, yeah, um, the airfield by Lake Tekapo, if I recall mm-hmm. uh, correctly, having you know spoken to one or two people that have you know seen them uh, there, and uh, this investment from from Boeing um, puts them as possibly um, the most highest funded of these um, electric, you know, or eVTOL uh, vehicles, and there are. Um, a couple of at least at least two others that you can actually just buy you know buy shares in mm. uh, firms that are in the space. But I think there's something like at least twenty firms in in this area globally. Uh, Whisk because of its local aspect, because of you know I guess some of the interactions I've had with them. Uh, to me, would be the one I'd love to invest in. But the only way to do that is is by Buying Boeing shares, and yeah. uh, they're a what hundred billion dollar plus uh, <laughs> company, I think. So, um, how much uh, Whisk will 
risks success or failure uh, makes to to their overall success. I don't know, yeah. um, but pretty exciting. That's big funds. Um, they money. say that this is their sixth generation uh, vehicle that wow. that uh, that they've been working with, and I think that that's been what they've been working with now for maybe two, two, three. Maybe even even into its into its fourth year that they've been working with that uh, uh, generation. I can't be a hundred percent sure of that. There's all these bits of information I've been absor- absorbing, but I did see some some photos of some of their um, their test vehicles, and and one of the ones when I um, when I googled it was uh, um, yeah, apparently um, well. Uh, uh, an aeroplane, if you want to put it into that category, with that call sign that was on it, um, had previously been listed online in, in 2018. So mm-hmm. um, possibly that I'm not 100% sure. But um, anyway, they're, um, they're, they're moving forward in, uh, into the next phase and um, we might see them flying passengers in the... In the not too not too distant future, I mean, the getting fully certified, which is where they're trying to to move into uh, next, is a yeah, a yeah challenging process. How do you how do you even uh, how do you even categorize them? You know, I mean, what, how do you get them certified? You'd have to invent a whole new category, basically. Well, I did read about a, another um, another uh, company in the space, and I have to try and track down their name, but they are. Uh, this other company, and um, I'll have a look and see if I can find who they were, but I uh, um, may may not find that before uh, before we finish up. But uh, they're planning to offer their vehicles on a kind of a custom build type basis, yeah. and because you legally can kind of custom build, you know, certain types of of aircraft. Uh, for personal use, uh, and, and you know, you think of the um, oh, what are the little ones that people fly around in New Zealand? You see them; they look like they've got a motor engine on them, and a, oh, yeah. um, I'm trying to remember what those those things are called. But there are varying types of aircraft. You know, you can you can self you can self build effectively, yeah. and so uh, this one company is going down that track yeah. of they will they'll have the kit, they've kind of built it. They can probably do all the building for you, but it would fall into that category rather than a you know full mass produced type category, and yeah. will allow them to you know basically bypass a um, um, you know a, a whole lot of uh, regulations by the uh, by by the sounds <laughs> of it. So um, yeah. I mean, like, I love the idea of just being able to jump into an air taxi down to I don't know, Hamilton or something, you know. Um, I don't know what the range on them would be like, but even even to go you know, from, if you go, my mum lives up in Silverdale, so, you know, m- jump onto a into an air taxi to pop up to see. <laughs> that might be something that could happen in the, in the near future. That might be a fun trip, uh, save the drive, but... Uh, the, the 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 idea of just flying cars are in general so exciting that um, I really really look forward to seeing what they do with this huge cash injection because that's a that's a lot of R and D. Yes, yeah, it is, uh, and I guess it highlights how expensive it is to to do this work, right? Because we've been hearing about these um, um, EV tolls for you know a number of years. Yep. We had uh, Uber Air. Um, 
who, you know, a, a sort of a, a new division of Uber, which you kind of think, well, well uh, yeah, Uber would make all sorts of announcements to, to get some, you know, get some good PR, but they actually threw quite a bit of, you know, money, uh, it, it, it seemed, you know, down down the track of, um, mm-hmm. you know, offering a service. They, that, that then, um, you know, they did... They did ditch um, so that they could uh, they could focus um, accordingly. But uh, yeah, this is this is a an, a really interesting space. Having a look online, there 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 are these um, you know kits you can buy, uh, and I'm looking at sort of US and and US uh, type prices. And um, you know one of the one of the ones here, CGS Hawk Aviation uh, Hawk Plus. The kit cost in US dollars around fifteen thousand um, dollars, and uh, this is a little sort of you know one seater thing. Uh, total build cost in the direction of thirty k uh, US to one hundred miles an hour, and um, so on. So uh, yeah, there you know there there are these uh, these lower cost vehicles, but for the for the flying enthusiast i think we yeah presuming all this stuff you know works out quite well uh not only will you you know have that option of sort of an autonomous vehicle that you would be able to ride at a at a reasonably sort of low cost uh but i would imagine we are going to see the option to uh um own something that's electric based that's going to be much much uh, safer and uh, yeah, yeah. Some, some of the aircraft that have been available <laughs> in the past, and yeah. and you know lower lower cost to maintain being electric as well. So cool, exciting times, eh? Flying automatic cars. Here we go, <laughs> future. Bring it on! I want one now. <laughs> All right. Well, um, hey, been great to great to catch up um, again, Ben. And well, first time for our podcast listeners, though. Um, so, it's been great. Um, you know, thank you for, for joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to having you go on uh, again in the future. Now, where, do pe- where should people look um, if they're uh, wanting, to, wanting to get in touch about uh, news stories or they're wanting to um, read some of your content? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is always a good place. You can find me Ben Moore. If you're Googling me, you do have to put minus paint because uh, otherwise you'll end up with Benjamin Moore paints <laughs> everywhere. Um, but LinkedIn should be able to, pretty easy to find me. I occasionally tweet on BenTM underscore journo, so you can have a look there as well. Um, but yeah, get in touch. I'm keen to keen to get to know a lot more uh, a lot more people in the industry and make contact and 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 really do a good job of representing our industry uh, in the news media. Excellent. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, thanks everyone for listening in. A big thank you to the incredible companies that stand behind the NZ Tech podcast and uh, make this show possible. So thank you to Vocus, Spark, HP, Vodafone and Gorilla Technology. Uh, We'll look forward to catching you again on uh, our next episode next week. All right. See ya. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.